You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. again and welcome to the JCN Clinic Podcast Show. Welcome guys. I'm Jessica. I'm Carissa. And we are here, just the two of us this morning. We've lost our entourage. We have actually, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about them. <laughs> it feels really quiet it does actually, feel really doesn't quiet. it? We had a lot of people crammed into this room. We did. Heaps. <laughs> Five. <laughs> feels like a lot. It does. So we are talking today about gluten-free baking, or I guess we'll probably talk a little bit about baking with intolerances overall, but yep. there's going to be a really big preference more for gluten-free yeah is that true yeah yeah I'll just ask you and yeah. check in you had a look on your face like no you're, no we're not Jess <laughs> we are no we are <laughs> basically the whole point of this is that um obviously between two people sitting in the same room Jess and I one is really good at baking Jess the other one is a totally shit and that is me <laughs> Now we can go into the reasons why. Let's just say Jess's mum is an awesome baker and passed on an awesome set of skills to her and Jess has just developed that with her love for gluten-free stuff and cooking. My mum didn't bake shit. I know nothing about it. (laughs) Never really had an interest. But still, like, I I feel like I want to be able to um, bake stuff without following a recipe. But because I Mm. feel like there's such a science to baking, Mm. if I deviate from a recipe because I don't understand the science in it, like... Like what makes stuff rise? What binds this to that? Like mm. the texture of stuff, how f- different flowers act differently. Like I don't understand any of that. So therefore, when it comes to me trying to chop and change a recipe mm. based on what I may or may not have in my pantry, then I totally fail. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there's a shit ton of people out oh, there like me. So true. Whereas you can give me any other recipe. Like let's just take the baking stuff out of the equation and I do not follow recipes. So when it comes mm. to anything else, I completely get it. Like I can chop, change recipes, look at a picture, just make my own version of it, look mm. at some flavors, think how I can do it better, which always turns out better, of course. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. But it's just for me, baking is a completely different ball game to normal yeah. cooking. So the whole point of this podcast is so for everyone who is out there, I know I've had hair stuck to me everywhere today as well. I've been de-hairing so myself while Chris is talking. Doing it all day. Um, is for all you guys out there like me who realistically are just you know we kind of need a baking for dummies guide mm-hmm. or a gluten free baking for yeah. dummies guide. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's there's a reason why when it comes even to chefs, there's a chef and then you have your sous chef, right? Like you have there are people who specialize in baking and in desserts for a reason. Um, And I think it's really common that you have people who love to cook and love being in the kitchen, but then there's a divide between that and then people who like to bake. And you can get people who love to bake but don't like to cook. Do you know what I mean? Like you can kind of have both sides of the story. And then you can get obviously people that enjoy all. But it's actually really common that people love to cook, like you're saying, but aren't sure about baking. Yeah. Um, or the other thing which you've obviously brought up is that people do like baking and they've baked in a more traditional way and yeah. they've been brought up baking with like inverted commas normal ingredients. Yeah. And then because they've had dietary changes, they just haven't been sure mm. what to do and how they to change over. work with recipes and then they're just like, 
oh, I don't know what to do anymore, so I'm not yeah. going to bake anymore, which yeah. is sad. Which is sad. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think too, like, and then there's probably people like me who, like, honestly, the only baking I probably ever, apart from my grandma, she was amazing, my dad's mum, but I didn't spend a lot of time baking with her mm. as a child. Like, she was, she's next level when it comes to cakes. Like, I think I make this joke that, like, her sort of generation, so they're all, like, you know, sort of, you know, mid-80s. Mm. Um, their generation are famous for baking, right? Like, whether or not they could transfer that over into gluten-free, probably not. But, yeah. like, there's a joke. Um, my dad <laughs> – oh, so thank God he doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> so he actually, like, he's got a real sweet tooth. I might have actually told this story before, but anyway. He actually loves funerals because <laughs> – when people die, all the old girls get their bake on. So they'll <laughs> so he's like he's like, I don't give a shit what they're talking about, I just gotta hang around the cake table. <laughs> like so but so there's that whole element of baking, but I didn't even grow up with that. Like I obviously grew up eating mm. stuff like that and I know the difference between something that's been baked from scratch and mm. tastes amazing and has, you know, all those beautiful like butters and proper, mm. you know, handmade cream, all the stuff that we don't really eat that much anymore. But my experience with baking probably when I've even bothered is just honestly something out of a packet, yeah. you know? So probably from the time I was say 15 to, I don't know, up until about, I don't know, maybe when I was 25, mm. like when I did try and bake something, even if I would got something gluten free, it would still be a packet mix because mm. I just honestly wouldn't understand mm. or have the ingredients at hand to actually mm. then go, okay, I can bake myself a gluten free banana bread or something yeah. like that. So then I'm learning, yep. like from you and M, obviously. Mm. So I'm following recipes and I'm subbing things in and out. I'm starting mm. to get a little bit of confidence. Yeah, for sure. But I still don't understand what I'm doing, which mm. frustrates me. <laughs> <laughs> like I want to understand it. Yeah. So then for me, it's something that I can just actually make a decision about and mm. understand why I'm making the decision. Like at the moment, I might sub almond meal out for tiger nut flour. Yeah. And it seemed to work with the banana yep. bread <laughs> that yep. I made the other night and stuff like that. But yeah, like if it came to me actually looking at a set of flowers meals and ingredients mm. and going what can I make from this I would be totally stumped because I don't know what does what yeah so that's what we're here for you ready <laughs> <laughs> ready ready hit me with a question cool all right so why is gluten-free baking so hard as opposed to normal baking <laughs> Jessica Cox <laughs> such a big question. I know. I looked at some of these and I'm like, she's just going to hate was that, me. Someone actually give us that question. That was me. Oh, that's just you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, why is it so yeah, hard? Like, is like, I want to sit you down and like pick your brain. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, what's the difference between gluten-containing flour? Like, you know, there's obviously yeah. something about the protein structure of gluten that is yeah. different to the protein, which we know from a gut level. But yeah. Like, what the fuck does it have to do with <laughs> So the biggest difference is gluten. Yeah. But it's let's we're leaving the gut stuff aside yeah. today. So yeah. gluten itself, from a baking point of view, is spectacular. <laughs> gluten provides stretchiness and elasticity, and because of that, with it, it brings rise and stickiness. So think of like um, making a pizza dough, um, or I guess any, anything using normal flour. <laughs> but basically, I think think of pizza doughs or making scones or anything like that, that you get your hand or bread with normal yeah. wheat flour. And if you've ever seen that even on TV, you get mm. your hands into it and it's stretchy. So you can actually get the dough and you can pull I've it. I've seen them do it, like yeah. Claire, Claire do a scone recipe. Yeah. Like, and she'll just like roll this thing out and then stretch, stretch it and then it. just cut these chunks of yeah. scone. So you can't do that with no. free flour. No. Well, well, you can you can try it, which is what we're going to talk about. You can try and replicate it to a point. Okay. But gluten 
allows it's that protein is really stretchy so it allows it to mm. pull out like that yeah and the great thing about that is that one it helps hold it together yeah like a glue essentially but two because of the elasticity once you add something in there as a rising agent and the rising agent does its magic it creates space so that's yeah. as those bubbles expand in the mixture the elasticity of the gluten just naturally rises yeah so again think of when you look at say again using a scone the edge of a scone if you look at a well-baked scone you can see the lines mm. um or bread you can see the lines in the dough going up the side where it's stretched mm -hmm. and that's a gluten physically stretching up as the the, the expansion happens there with the bubbles mm -hmm. and allowing it just to press up, which is so magic and amazing. It does. Like, yeah, okay, it totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the main fundamental difference between baking with gluten and then not having gluten. So when you don't have gluten in a flour, whether that be all the – like we'll talk about different flours and, as you said, nut meals and so forth, you don't have that gluten. So what's going to happen is that – you're not going to get that stretchiness. Mm -hmm. So things aren't going to rise as easy. And also you're not going to get the glueiness um, and elasticity that comes with gluten. So imagine... The um, stuff isn't as nice and fluffy then either, is No. It? Yeah. So if you think of gluten-free yeah, baking, depending on how, <laughs> how well it's being done, like we often associate gluten-free baking with being like a rock. Like we've all mm. experienced, I'm sure, when you're like, oh, I'm just going to try. My first attempt at a gut-friendly bread, I knew <laughs> yes. I could have killed someone with it. <laughs> That's it. Um, where, yeah, you haven't got that right mix to try and replicate that and the flour doesn't have any capacity to to rise. It can't stretch up and it can't create those bubbles, so it just stays really compact. And because of that, it's going to be really stodgy and thick. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, when it comes to gluten-free baking, what we want to try and do is replicate as much as possible what the gluten is doing, mm -hmm. and that's where all of the tricks come in. Okay. The magic. The magic. Does cool. that make sense, the difference between sense. the two? Yes, it does. So, yeah, from a, from a baking point of view, gluten is amazing, and yeah. that's, I think, why um, even over the years with just standard commercial mm. flours and um, you can buy different grades of flours, particularly for things like pasta and mm. so forth. And they've actually like added gluten to the flours. Like there's a whole amount of experimentation and science that's gone into like bulking up gluten in flours because it gives like for bakeries and commercial produce, mm. it gives that beautiful light puffiness that yeah. we've come to love. Yeah. But obviously from a gut point of view, that's created some problems yeah. with our like screwed up <laughs> increased gluten intake. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Does that, yeah, yeah does that no, answer that question it enough? It does, yeah. 100%, 100%. Okay, so I'm starting to understand why. The why we have, what, what we have to do when we do gluten-free baking, but yeah. now we need to understand how. Okay, the how. <laughs> the so how. that is why, how. But first I think we should probably <laughs> chat about like what are, a lot the common ingredients in terms of flours and nut meals because mm. I think the thing that I've really seen change a lot with gluten-free baking because I'm a freaking expert and I've watched this change over the years. No, mm -hmm. but what like we obviously noticed with gluten-free baking is that there's a lot of nut meals and seed meals yeah. now used, which with yeah. traditional baking, like I don't really remember mm. ever like having a recipe. Like there might be a few things like the good old-fashioned orange and almond cake that yeah. has that's a traditional long, pretty long-standing recipe. Yeah. But apart from that, I don't really Think of a lot of things that have got a lot of things like yep. almond meals and linseed meals and yep. all of that kind For of sure. stuff in it. So is that an inclusion because this is obviously part of making this magic happen? 
It's it's a little bit of both. I think we're probably a little biased in what we see with gluten-free mm. baking because okay. I think when you like we're looking at it at the point of view of recipes that are trying to be made more like health conscious uh, gluten-free. Yeah. But if you look at a traditional like just gluten-free flour mix that you would buy, mm. it generally won't have any like nut meals or seed meals in it. It will be a blend of different flours, which we'll talk about like mm. why for that. So I think there's that aspect. If you're just trying to like, you know, how can I make this gluten free? And I'm not, I don't really care about it being healthy. I just want a gluten free sponge cake or whatever it might be. But then there's the health space of where we're trying to still replicate the flour gluten sort of activity more, but we're trying to bring in a health aspect. And not jack it with sugar. Yeah. yeah, And also about that texture again. So with, with a gluten free flour, like a standard blend, it's usually like majority of the time it's going to have at least three different flours in it. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have something like pretty commonly is going to be like a white and it's going to be really refined as well. Like they're going to use refined white gluten-free grains or flours to try and get mm-hmm. that sort of um, like, again, like lack of fiber and that lightness that ideally yeah. will happen. So is that like, like tapioca starches and potato starches? Yeah. Like they're used a lot in gluten-free breads. And, exactly. Yeah, so, so it's because they're light and refined. Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have, there's usually two or three flours in a mix because they all do different things. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a flour like a white rice flour that doesn't have um, much in the way of, um, like kind of glueiness um, or stickiness to it, mm-hmm. so it's kind it's kind of in there to create like the the base. We'll think of it as kind of like a base layer, mm-hmm. but then you want to put another flour in there that creates a, an extra amount of glueiness because we want something that's going to create that stickiness in the flour. And if you think again back to the gluten where it's sticky, things like tapioca flour. Um, it's, it's good if people have like used them separately and seen, but like tapioca or sometimes you might see bee sand, like a mm-hmm. chickpea flour mm-hmm. in there or, um, like a potato, as I said, like a potato starch and those things. If you add water to those things just on their own, they go like, um, a glue and they're often used. Another example might be with gravy. Like if anyone's made a traditional gravy, you'll yeah. often like put like potato starch into it to thicken it up. So yeah. it's just like a, it's a thickening agent. Yeah. So if you put that thickening agent in with the flour. A light it's white fluffy flour. Yeah. <laughs> as much, even without the gluten, it's going to help create yeah. stick. And then there's usually a third element that will come in like another flour again, mm. which will try to create a little bit of extra lightness to the flour. Okay. So that can sometimes be, which is without trying to confuse everyone, it can also be, be about that stickiness, but like an arrowroot flour or something. So again, if you ever used or just played with just arrowroot, it's like fluffy. Like it's mm-hmm. just when you, even when you touch it, like it's not as coarse as a rice mm-hmm. flour. So you'll usually have some that, that combination that will create stickiness and then try and, um, create some capacity for that thing to that that combo to pull apart as it rises Mm -hmm. um but that's just with plain white rice flours and then if you if you were to buy like a standard gluten-free plain flour it would probably be something like that yeah but then if you bought a plain gluten-free self-raising flour it's going to have added in there some raising agents so it's probably going to have some bicarb soda um, and so forth which we'll talk about too so then if you took that standard 
platform of a you know standard gluten-free flour then you wanted to make it healthy which is what you're talking about yeah we'll look at it and go well how can i make that same sort of recipe but include other things that just aren't as devoid as fiber yeah so if you add in a nut meal a nut meal when you think about it, it's um it's, it's heavier mm -hmm. but it's also um it's there's a moisture to it there's a stickiness yep. too so when you put like water with almond meal or um I mean, flax meal is a little bit different, but any of the nut meals, if you think, you know how they're, mm. they're going to be really, they're going to be really wet. Yeah. So they're going to create moisture and not create this kind of like really dry texture. Yeah. And then that'll often be married with another flour. Yeah. So we might go like a, a buckwheat or a sorghum or a brown rice flour <laughs> or something like that with a little bit more fiber to it. Yeah. But then usually you would also try and add in something like maybe a little bit of some arrowroot or yeah. some tapioca or something to like that to again lighten it up a little yeah. bit depending on what you're doing. Have mm. I totally confused No, you, you haven't actually. Like okay. I'm just sitting here like a little student. Like, <laughs> like, it's making sense now, master. <laughs> you're like, good grasshopper. <laughs> cool. All right. So I think you definitely touched on some of the gluten-free flours, but for people that are quite new to gluten-free yeah. baking, we've got buckwheat. Yeah. Uh, rice flour. Yeah. Teff. Yeah. Millet. Mm -hmm. Sorghum, mm -hmm. basin. Mm -hmm. um, they're my top ones that I can think yep. of. But then you've obviously got your potato starch flowers. Yep. Potato starch, tapioca, tapioca starch. starch. You've kind of like all of the grains can end up being made into a flour. Like, yep. you know, your millet millet flowers and yep. quinoa oat, flour. I suppose even oat flour. Yeah. Like, depending yep. on which side of the fence you're sitting with gluten on that. Yeah. So um, most of those can be ground up and made into a flour. But then you need to look at their texture yeah. and where they sit from like a light flour through to a really heavy yeah. flour. And the other thing I would highlight before we move into like binders and bacon yeah. and rising is that some flowers, some flowers actually do work pretty well on their own, Yeah, but a lot of them do need to act synergistically. Yeah, The ones that work really well on their own um, without much help would be buckwheat flour mm -hmm. Um sorghum flour tends to work pretty well that's why i use it a lot and yeah recipes. exactly like, and it's pretty cheap i'm like geez just like sorghum <laughs> whenever <laughs> i read your recipes i'm like what is this sorghum fetish <laughs> and even the teff but what it is with majority of those flours is it's the high protein well so a lot of them are the pseudo grains so mm. they're not technically a grain but they have a high protein content and the protein in them creates a little bit more stickiness and glue. Yeah. So think about if anyone's um, ever tried to make, which we do all the time, so maybe people listening have done this, a buckwheat pancake where you just mix buckwheat flour literally just with some water um, and cook it in a pan. It yeah. works really well because the flour ah. holds together. Gotcha. If you try and do that with brown rice flour, <laughs> good luck to you. Uh, right, because I always yeah. wondered, like, I'm like, whenever I see them without the egg, I'm like, like the buckwheat flour pancakes yeah. without egg, because you know how you've got on yeah. your website, you, yours doesn't have an egg, mm -hmm. mine does. Yeah. Um, mine's a massive pancake, though. Yours is a lot more, you know, probably portion controlled. <laughs> <laughs> However, I've always looked at yours and thought it was just more for, from a vegan point of view. So yeah. obviously that's part of it. But yeah. the other point is you can obviously use buckwheat flour and it will hold together. Yeah. I always wondered how yeah. it did. And it's yeah. that protein, that high okay. protein. And Teff will do the same. What about quinoa flour? Yeah, quinoa flour will do it, not as well, but definitely yeah. do it. Um, Teff will do it, bee sand flour. I was about to ask about yeah, flour, yeah, so those sort of legume flours definitely yeah. do it. That's a really standard, like, recipe in a lot of cultures, like Italians mm. do the um, 
I'm <laughs> like pause, what's it called? Fatanata. Oh, which that is thing just you made. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that thing you made. <laughs> we were like, what the hell is this? So that's just bee sandflower um, with, with water, a little bit, and lots of olive oil. But then um, like a lot of like Indian-based yeah. um, recipes will do the same thing with like a lentil or a chickpea yeah. flour. And they'll just, it's literally, it's just water. And then yeah. they'll just leave it to sit for a while and let the protein and the, the liquid sort of gel together. Coagulate. Yeah. Coagulate. Yeah. And then that works really well. But cool. if you try and do that with like arrowroot or, or tap, yeah, or any of those other things yeah. without any or very little protein, mm-hmm. it will just turn into, just, um, like just a broken bits. Yeah. Anything. It just falls apart. I was going to use a really inappropriate word then. So but. for anyone who doesn't know what beeson flour it is, it's just chickpea flour. Yes. It took me, I, I had to learn that one the hard way. <laughs> I had to Google it. That was ages ago, but I did have to Google it. So I'm just helping, helping a brother out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. So one of the questions then, oh, can we just talk about corn flour quickly? Oh, yeah. Where the hell does corn flour fit into it? Because I feel like <laughs> corn flour is something I don't see in anything. Like I yeah. use corn flour to thicken a lot of yeah. stuff. Like it's it, gluten-free. It's quite refined. I get that. It fits in with like your tapiocas okay. and your arrowroot because they're thick enough. Yeah, because yeah. now that I'm thinking about the texture of it, now that you've given that awesome explanation, <laughs> I'm like, I think I know where corn flour is. Yeah, fits. it's like you'd use it to thicken gravy and those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, and it's definitely. lighter and it's definitely refined. Yeah, like, and you wouldn't want to like try and use that on its own. It would be a disaster. Like you need to use it, yeah, in that combination. Yeah. So one of the questions that we did have to do with this um, was can you use and So in, I think you've kind of answered this, but I feel like, you might be able to put a bit of clarification on what you can do here. So if you were looking at a recipe, which gluten-free flours can you then use interchangeably without mm. effing the recipe up? Yeah, it does depend on the recipe. I know that's an yeah. annoying answer, yeah. but I would say majority of the time, like safe bet would yeah. be like a buckwheat flour or a sorghum flour Yeah. or a quinoa flour. So- I'd probably play with those three, but that would be like if you had a recipe and it just said one cup, of um, like normal mm. whole grain flour or spell mm. flour, you could probably sub in one of those. Yeah. As long as it it still had like egg and those sorts of yeah. other traditional binders in it. Yeah. But once you start playing around with yeah. removing more than that, or um, if it was like a vegan recipe and it was like it was vegan but not gluten free, mm. yeah. So it might have. It's got normal flour, but it's vegan, and then you just try and throw in another flour to make it gluten-free mm-hmm. too. You might want to sort of think about whether it would work just to sub in a flour. But I would say majority of the time, yeah, buckwheat or sorghum would be my go-to if you just mm-hmm. want one flour. Yeah. And they tend to work pretty well, but they won't. it won't be the same finish. You're not yeah. going to end up with that same rise in the banana cake or the lightness. It will be a little bit heavier. Yeah. But don't try and do with like coconut flour yeah. <laughs> like those here oh, oh no you're no way we're going to pause this for a minute guys sorry about that guys we had to do it in two parts because we just had a fire alarm go off so <laughs> this is actually the day after this is actually the day after so we did record that that first part you were just listening to yesterday and because we're both busy we have to record the second part now so Yay for fire alarms and people drilling into parts in buildings that they have no <laughs> idea what they're drilling into. <laughs> okay, so we're picking up where we left off. So what we were talking about, and I think we pretty much covered it, was using the different types of flowers interchangeably. And I think you mm-hmm. covered that super well. So the other thing that I had, and it was a bit of an overlap of a question from um, from 
um, Brie as well. She actually asked the last question too, but was <laughs> was like like the differences between nut and seed meals, and like in terms of like you know obviously they're a different consistency to flowers, mm. but again, can you use them interchangeably? What do they do for texture? What do they do for mm. you know consistency? Like you know obviously yeah. people are using them more in the healthier healthier baking options like we were talking about yesterday <laughs> but like yeah like is it like is it the same as flowers where certain nuts nut and seed meals do certain things or are they just all a nut, mm. nut and or a seed meal and you can use whatever there if you like no um, no it's it is certainly a little more complicated of course <laughs> you can't you couldn't just sub a nut meal for a flower like mm-hmm. if you had even even in gluten-free baking like just going oh i don't have sorghum flour I'll just use almond meal like, can you sub nut meals for nut meals though yes okay. but you can't so that's in the nut meal <laughs> seed meal family situation you could pretty much sub any nut or seed meal except for flaxseed or chia uh, and that's because yeah exactly which we'll be talking about um when we talk about binders because they they just essentially have um a lot more of a um a mucolagy fiber so um, yes so essentially the way they act when they hit liquid is going to be so different so okay. if you had like say a cup of armor meal and you subbed it for a cup of flaxseed it'll be, be a really bad ideal okay ideal idea but um essentially they're going to behave differently but if it was like armor meal for walnut meal or almond meal for sunflower seed meal mm. or something like that that would be fine but it is I think we were talking about yesterday how <laughs> so we can't no, even no, no, what we even say that, that the nut meals um they're a healthier option but they're a lot there's a lot more moisture in them mm. so you if you're going to bring them into a recipe you've got to remember that they're bringing like a denseness and a moisture to the recipe which is nice in like muffins and cakes and so mm-hmm. forth but if you use it just on its own it's going to be quite heavy so you, often you want something to lighten it, which is why I guess with things like paleo baking and so forth, they use a lot of them because you have all the eggs and so forth to yeah. like allow that rise and, yeah. and everything to happen. But yeah, it's not often that you'll get a recipe that maybe is just made with a nut meal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly some that are out there, but usually like I know for me, if I'm baking with them, I like to bring in another type of flour just to lighten that up a bit if you're trying to get something more from like a cake or muffiny consistency. I was really rebellious the other day. Yeah. When I was making your um banana and pecan muffins. I swapped <laughs> look at me learn. So I swapped pecans for walnuts. Yep. So that's an easy swap, right? And then I didn't have almond meal so I used tiger nut flour. Yeah, cool. But I figured tiger nut is an art. It yep. says flour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just went for it. And it worked. Yeah. So anyway, I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning. Exactly. So you could have done that with any of you could have used any nut meal at all, but you could have if you had have tried to do that with say flaxseed meal, it would have been a, a disaster. Fail. It would have been just like this like cement consistency. I see, I see. Mm. Okay. So next question. <laughs> I want to know, and this probably might link in with some of the other, this next question, but 
is basically in gluten-free baking what make or any baking what makes stuff rise <laughs> i know this sounds really dumb but no it doesn't like it's... i don't i just i i kind of get it but i also yeah. don't get it and yeah. i know that sometimes i've had a recipe and say for example it's got baking soda in it i don't even mm. know if baking soda is what makes shit rise but mm. let's just say it's got baking soda in it and i don't have no baking powder i don't even know if they're the same thing <laughs> which is what i'm gonna ask you but i haven't had that and i've used bicarb soda yeah. and it's a total flop yeah. So I'm guessing one does something. Different or, things, yeah. yeah. So any any form of baking, whether it's normal like gluten-based baking mm-hmm. or like gluten-free baking, generally is going to have something in there to rise. Like if it's like a, a rising, yeah, a rise, you know, if it's a cake or a muffin or anything, you want to get that sort of rise out of it unless it's something completely, you know, like a flat bar or – yeah. So your general things you're going to use are either rising agents like baking powder, baking soda, or bicarb soda. They're, they're actually the same thing, just different names. Uh, okay. Um, cream of tartare. Yes. And then other things besides those, which we'll come back to, would be yeast. I was going to ask about yeast because I yeah. know when you make pizza dough, like yeast is what when they let the dough sit, that's what makes the, yeah. the dough rise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so and so then... <laughs> And so then I don't egg. need you for this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, eggs. You know, yeah, so okay. eggs are gonna like. So when eggs cook, they're gonna give that. Um, the whites are gonna puff up and give that sort of lightness as well. But so yeast, essentially, when you add the, usually when you have yeast, it's dried, and you add mm-hmm. a sugar to it. Um, to essentially warm water and some form of sugar or honey, which is it's kind of like it wakes it up, so well, it's inactive. It. And then exactly, so you feed it. I it's like, this from a gut point of view, yeah, so yeah. Making point of view. It's a good thing people understand when they've got yeast overgrowth. Yeah. So if you ever do that with inactive yeast, you put it in a bowl and you add some warm water and some honey and leave it for five minutes. You come back and it's like bubbled up. It's so cool and it just mm. smells like hot cross buns to me. So that, when you add that into the flowers, that process of the yeast bubbling and creating those carbon monoxide monoxide (laughs) bubbles is what creates those gassy bubbles in the baking as it's cooking. Mm -hmm. And when there's gluten there, that's what we were talking about earlier, how it allows that stretchiness to happen. So yeast does that. Um, Now, with the others, which we use a lot, because we tend to shy away from yeast with people with gut issues. Yeast is wonderful if you can use it, by the way, and it's that flavour that yeast gives. Like, oh, again, the hot cross buns always reminds me of that real yeasty flavour. Yeah, I've never actually, I've been away from my microphone, I've never actually used yeast in cooking anything. Oh, it's so good. I reckon I would enjoy it, though. I've made beer with it. <laughs> of course I have. Of course. <laughs> I Yeah, most of the baking that I was influenced by growing up was yeast-based. Like, Mum always made uh, yeast breads, yeast pizza bases, like everything was yeast. So that's probably my biggest introduction to baking and, like, knowing, like, whether yeast is good or not too because if you've got – I like, keep thinking I'm just pouring this shit out of everyone. <laughs> but if you've got yeast in your cupboard and you're like, is this – still working and you're wanting to go and pop it into something if you add a little bit of it to some water and some honey and just leave it like if it doesn't bubble it's dead dead. yeah so little things like that essentially died it's essentially dead and it's not going to do anything in your gut is what we want sometimes (laughs) in your baking not so good so but baking soda or like bicarbonate soda is is something that basically creates the bubbles, those carbon monoxide bubbles when it's um, activated as such. So 
it will essentially create those bubbles in the cooking process. Is with the it activated by sugar as well? No, it's okay. not. It's not. It's actually activated. It, it's activated just by when it hits moisture. But there's other things that also yeah, okay. activate it as well, which I'll get into in a minute. <laughs> so I'm confused. It, it creates these carbon dioxide bubbles, which in, again, the gluten-based flours is like, wee, and it stretches. I don't know if anyone's ever made, like, you can make, bread just with bicarb soda and it's really bubbly and it's mm -hmm. pretty much all that you need um then you've got baking powder so baking powder well, i've made damper before yeah. especially like flour water and bicarb soda yeah exactly there you go that's it okay. <laughs> i'll go put your hand on <laughs> i've got something to tell you <laughs> then you've got baking powder is that it's actually a combination of bicarb soda and cream of tartar together which i think a lot of people don't realize so what's that so, <laughs> like just vague out there. Baking powder. Baking so you know you can buy bicarb yeah. soda. Yeah. Then you can buy baking powder, which is usually oh. in that little blue container at the supermarket. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And got you can that. buy the gluten-free stuff. It's a combination of bicarb soda and cream of tartar together. Ah, oh, so when you see a recipe that's got baking powder and then cream of tartar that you're just trying to dose up on the cream you're of tartar. Increasing the cream of tartar. So the oh. for instance, the gut friendly bread has baking powder and the cream of tartar. Yeah. It's the only bread I've ever made. No, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so what that cream of tartar does, it provides an acid that actually activates the bicarb soda further. So when you use cream of tartare on its own, it's it's actually a byproduct from wine, which is really cool. I like it. It's a little bit of a thing. But it, it that acid activates the bicarb soda further. So when you hit when the baking powder goes in with the flowers and it hits the liquids mm. and so forth, it all gets activated in that acid of the cream of tartare just as like, yeah, and it comes in it just keeps those bubbles really punching which in gluten-free baking that's why you would add more exactly well, look at me i'm so getting this <laughs> but you've got to be careful too because bicarb soda um definitely has a i'm sure people it's taste, taste it's quite salty yeah so you have to be careful there's you can be like oh it's gluten-free i'll just add shit loads more mm. it'll make it way too salty so yeah. that's where you want to play around with all right i'm going to use my baking powder and I'm going to try and activate it a bit more with some extra cream of tartare, which is what the gut friendly bread does. Mm -hmm. And then you can use other things to try and activate it even more, which is common in gluten-free baking, which is another acid. So it might be apple cider vinegar ah. or lemon juice. So often you'll see that in, in gluten-free baking, there'll be an acid added. So that might be there without the cream of tartare. But they'll but, add an acid. Yeah, I find if I use the baking powder plus the cream of tartare plus throw in an acid, it's like party city. Right. Now, it's still, it's still not going to do what would happen if we had gluten, but yeah. it will take something that's quite dense. Like mm. if there's a lot of nut meals and other flours mm. and so forth, it's bloody hard mm. to get that stuff to rise. Yep. So if you can get that really strong activation of those carbon dioxide bubbles mm. happening you can really start to push the bread up oh okay cool okay because yeah. i'm just trying to think like the when i made that banana and pecan loaf that i just told you guys i changed the recipe a little bit but so what's that that's got eggs which rise but yep. also bind yeah so except right rose heaps yeah because like, of the eggs okay and then yep. it also had baking powder in it yeah i think from memory yeah which I is think a mixture so. of baking soda yep. and, and cream, cream tartare. tartare. Yeah. And does it have a bit of apple cider vinegar? No, it doesn't that recipe. Not sure. No. Mm. Right. Yeah. So gotcha. the eggs are like if you can get eggs in there they're like a whole other ball game because you've got all of those beautiful whites which yep. allow things to rise even more. So that's always going to add extra if you can 
get that into a recipe, but not everyone can have them. And you don't not you, you generally don't want an eggy bread, like a general day-to-day -day bread it can be nice without eggs. Hmm. I could add eggs to it. You can add anything. Yeah. All right, cool. And that's explained the difference between all of those as well. So that's good. And I actually get it. You get that's it? Good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I would say just in regards to quantities is like generally, if I can remember this off the top of my head, it's usually two teaspoons of baking powder to one cup of plain flour. Like that's the old school method. Like you had plain, oh, okay. white, regular flour at home and you would want it self-raising, you would add two teaspoons of okay. baking powder. So, then so I generally kind of go by that rule of thumb even with gluten-free. So if I've got yeah, like a cup of buckwheat flour in a recipe, I'm like, well, I generally know I'm going to need two teaspoons of baking powder, gotcha. but I want to activate that more because this is like going to be harder. So I'm going to throw a bit of cream tartar at it and I'm going to throw a bit of apple cider and those sorts of things. I personally don't use a lot of just extra baking, um, oh, sorry, bicarb soda because mm. I find it is so damn salty. Yeah. So you got to be really careful with it. Yeah. I've been over and I've made like um, biscuits and stuff in the past and me just being me, mm. just think I can throw in whatever I want and then you eat them and you're yep. just like what the hell you <laughs> yep. taste the bicarb in there <laughs> so let's just say like the gut friendly bread for example like I'm just thinking mm -hmm. of the recipes of that in the ingredients in that right and it's got like the buckwheat flour rice flour and some almond meal yep what would happen to that then because the so the right the rising agents in that are two teaspoons of cream of two two teaspoons of baking powder one teaspoon of yeah. cream of tartar. Well, I have to become a science embedded into my skull or I'll f it up, right? And then there's apple cider vinegar, yeah. right? And I think that's it in terms of rising stuff. Yeah. So if you were to take the almond meal out of that, like let's yeah. just say you had no almond meal, yeah. How important is the almond meal to a recipe like that? Then knowing full well if you know what your raising agents are and you know Know mm. what your flowers are. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not a bind to other almond yeah. meal. So could you just replace that with extra rice flour if you wanted to? You could. I'd probably replace it with extra buckwheat or sorghum okay. because the oh, like we're saying before, thing. like the, it's more elastic. Yeah. But I think too much rice flour would make it too dense. And if you're taking the um, almond meal out, that's an element of moisture. So uh, you might end up with the bread being a little bit drier. So you might just have to add more. So you have to just sort of play that one out as you because mm -hmm. if you're used to making it a few times, you'll sort of kind of be able to gauge the consistency yep. and see. But you could do it. I think that would definitely work. Yep. Um, but there would there'd certainly be a difference in maybe how much water it might want that mm. little bit more. And, yeah, definitely buckwheat or the sorghum. I wouldn't do it with just the yeah. brown rice flour. Yeah, because now that we've had the discussion about yeah. the difference between those flours. Yeah. Cool. Okay, feeling more confident that I can fuck with your recipes. Okay. <laughs> this is about. This, yeah, it's exactly what it's about. So I can understand how to not follow a recipe. It's exactly what it's about. All right, let's chat about binders. So obviously yep. common most binder that I can think of is um, egg. Mm -hmm. um, I've started to realize that psyllium is also a binder. Mm -hmm. Look at me learn. Flax is also a binder. Yep. And then for some reason there's chia eggs as well. So yep. I'm guessing that's all. <laughs> I just look at that and I'm just like, but I get for vegan baking it's necessary. Yeah. Right? But I, yep. you know, I'm just like a chia egg. I'm not making a chia egg. <laughs> like, I'll just use an egg. But but yeah, so is that in terms of binders or is there that's, more? No, that's I would say that's pretty much it. But mm -hmm. um the trick is chia is pretty good in that you can just use it as is and sort of soak it and it's good to go. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's just like it's an egg substitute because it does work so well yeah. just to help pull everything together for mm -hmm. people that can't do it. But you got to remember 
if you take out an egg and you add a chia egg or a flax egg, that is going to bind, but it won't have the rise anymore. Yeah. So you've got to think about that if you've had a recipe that you're trying to change and make mm. gluten-free and vegan and it's mm. got, like, eggs in it that you have to think mm. about, okay, yeah, how am I going to get this baby to rise if I'm taking the eggs out and throwing in a chia egg? So you might just throw in, like, some baking, <laughs> some of the raising agents we're talking about. <laughs> no one can see us, but every time I have to butt in and ask Jess a question, my hand goes up. <laughs> So, not that I would do this, but I'm just curious. If it's only the egg white that mm. makes things rise, could you yep. then just use egg whites in a recipe like um, as opposed to the yolk as well? You could, but the yolk provides an element of fat, so it depends. Oh, so that's a bit of a binding thing as well. Not really. No, not really. It's probably more flavour and yeah, mouthfeel okay. and so forth. It would depend on the recipe again. Okay. But if you say you had some muffins and they had two eggs and you just used two egg whites. Yep. The two egg yolks they add up to a certain amount, a certain amount of liquid. Because yeah, baking, true. remember, baking such a science. Like Ugh. as soon as you take away those two yolks, yeah. you have screwed with the liquid portion. Yeah. So you got to remember, okay, I might need a dash more of that milk or whatever yeah. it might be. And also those two yolks add an element of fat, so you could make a muffin maybe slightly more drier. So you might need to add a touch more oil. Okay. So like every time you take something away, you got to. That's what I do. I'm like, I'm taking away this. That adds, you know, this. rise and it adds binding. How do I put that in? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I started to think about that with, like, when I'm making stuff, just even with the flowers. Now, like, I'm starting to look at a lot of your recipes just to kind of gauge bases as to what you do with yeah. breads. Like, this is the amount of dry ingredients. Here's the binders. Here's, yeah. like, the, the wet ingredients. I'm yeah. starting to really realise that there's not, not patterns in that. But, yeah, like, if I'm yeah. stuffing with stuff, which I is inevitable that I'm <laughs> yeah. do. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. No, those are the main ones, like the flax, the chia, the psyllium. Slippery elm is really uh, okay. good. That works well. Um, all of them have got that capacity to just draw that liquid to yeah. them and really create. It's that gel. We want that something that's going to create a gel. Yeah. And the gut-friendly bread, again, has the flaxseed meal mm. that does that. So and psyllium. You, like... Yeah. So if you tried to pull those out, or even if people, like, add extra psyllium to that, bread like you will notice straight away you need more water like it's a it's a balance of all of those elements what were you gonna say nothing i keep going to butt in like shut up carissa let just talk i like the first time i made it remember i didn't have something and i text you and i'm just Mm. like can i add extra psyllium and you're like well you better make sure you add extra water and then and then just actually proceeds to send me the video on how to make the gut friendly bread (laughs) because she was so concerned i was gonna stuff it up which in fairness was good because i wouldn't have added that much water do you know what i mean i would just kind of yeah so now i yeah i get why you were so like carissa you need to watch the video so you know the consistency of cake batter that you need or bread batter that you need the um the other binder um that i forgot about thinking of more the SIBO gut friendly bread is actually using veggies and fruit because they're yeah. kind of they're wet and um like a gel and the mm. best is an obvious example is a banana so vegan baking often uses banana so mm. you could do a basic pancake with buckwheat flour mashed banana and water or almond milk and that'll work. Um, yeah, right. Or the gut-friendly bread has all of that mashed-up carrot mm. in it or pumpkin. So those sorts of more – it's this, you know, those more starchier type yep. options. Um, they'll really help in, in, in bringing something together, hmm. definitely. Cool. Hey, all right. Well, that's kind of – that was it for the questions that I had for you. Yeah. I do have two questions, though. <laughs> Unless there's anything else you think I haven't asked. No. What else do you want to talk? You're like, oh, I like talking I about like baking. I like talking about the baking. I was like, 
We could talk about baking. You could do a session on how we how to make beer from yeast. I could. We'll keep everyone interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've covered two of these questions, but uh, okay. So if you were converting a standard recipe for baking containing self-raising flour to a gluten-free recipe, wanting to use a whole grain flour instead of a gluten-free blend, what is the best way to support the rise and texture of the final product? So I feel like you've mm. kind of covered that. Yeah. But... So uh, self-raising regular Flour. flour and you want to convert it over to a whole food recipe yeah. essentially so you have to can i have a go and you can tell yes! me yes right do it so you would have to choose your whole grain flours that are gluten free so if you've got a, a normal flour mix that's already got the raising agents and everything in it or just yep. whatever you'd have to um have the right type of gluten free flour so one of them would probably have to be buckwheat or sorghum mm-hmm. um and then whatever other blends but then you'd also have to add a rising agent, mm-hmm. which would have to be um, baking powder <laughs> and then maybe some extra cream of tartar or apple cider vinegar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, instead of what is the way to support the rise and texture of the final product? Okay, add more, please. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's kind of hard without seeing the recipe. the recipe. And I know this is where it's kind of annoying for people, but I, you, you, what you said is 100% right yes. as a base. But the problem is that each recipe will differ. Yep. So if if we had a recipe, um, I don't know, we could bring one up and sort of do a demo of it, but essentially do that. if we had a recipe for um, a standard banana cake and it was made with just wholemeal flour and some eggs and banana and those sorts of ingredients. <laughs> pick like the hardest recipe I can find. <laughs> Challenge. <laughs> we like make this gluten-free. <laughs> Come on. Like that one, if we're just trying to make that gluten-free, that's pretty easy because the eggs are – well, I know that recipe's got eggs in it, so there's so much binding capacity and yeah. there's so much rise from the eggs. So you could pretty confidently just sub in – um, say literally just some buckwheat flour and maybe if that recipe did have already some baking powder in it say a teaspoon you might go all right I might just double that and make it two teaspoons and I'm going to use some baking powder uh, sorry <laughs> some buckwheat flour instead I'm just fucking with Jess over yes. I'm making this really hard for her <laughs> just staring at her and making faces all right so I'm going to pick a really easy recipe yep buttermilk scones Two and a half cups of self-raising flour, two tablespoons of caster sugar, 60 grams of butter chopped, one cup of buttermilk, make it gluten and dairy-free and taste freaking awesome. Go. <laughs> yes. I can't make scones gluten-free good. Can't that's why there's no scones on the website. No, probably no. That's not true. It's probably because I want to make them dairy free as well. Oh uh, yeah. The scones okay. are all about butter. Yeah, they are. So because that's got the buttermilk and the butter and all those the fat already in there, yeah. like they're they're already acting as all that beautiful fat. Mm-hmm. But the is there a raising? Did you say oh, self raising? And then flour. there's the the butter, sugar, yeah, the and the sugar. So oh, basically, milk. you just need to if you change that flour over you need to get the raising agents in that so two cups two and a half cups so say we used if you want to keep it nice and light because they're scones i'd probably use a cup of sorghum flour and maybe one and a half cups or maybe one cup of of rice flour Mm -hmm. and then maybe half a cup of some arrowroot or something like that Mm -hmm. 
But if you want to keep it really, really simple, you could just do two and a half cups of sorghum flour, but they're going to be a little bit more of a probably heavier scone. Yeah. And then I would, because you've got two cups of self-raising flour, keeping in mind that sort of rule before, for every cup needing two teaspoons of baking powder. <laughs> You're going to need four. Dinner. Well, you'll need four. you probably need four five. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm shit at maths. Because yeah. you've got an extra half a yeah. cup. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to need five teaspoons of just regular baking powder for that. I wouldn't be – it's already got the buttermilk and so forth in it. The buttermilk's already soured, so I wouldn't bother with adding anything extra like apple cider or cream of tartare. Mm-hmm. You could just literally do a flour and the baking powder, mm-hmm. but it's getting that ratio right. And if you wanted to play around, as I said, with different types of flowers to get a super white scone, like really you need the white refined stuff, like a white, you know, even a white rice flour, the arrowroot, oh, okay. um, and then maybe bringing in a bit of sorghum, something like that. I was like just that. thinking I wish I found something like a three-decker cake or something. <laughs> Throw it at me. Come on. Come on, Jess. Go. All right. I'll read the next question. I'm going to find another recipe. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be done. Uh, so the next question, should you dare to answer it, dear Jess from Brie, you use slippery. Thanks, Brie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Lots she's of it. Um, you used slippery elm powder in your gut-friendly pumpkin pancakes. I love this recipe and the use of this ingredient. How could I use slippery elm in other baking without the taste overpowering the final product? Oh, I don't question. really find that the taste. You can't use enough of it for the taste to come through. Well, I don't think you can because it's. It's a very small amount. Um, you would only really use it, where would you use it? You would probably use it if a recipe had psyllium, like you could interchange it with psyllium. It would work quite well. Um, and then if you had a recipe that you had played around with a little bit and you did feel like it was a little bit crumbly and so forth, you could just literally look at adding in one to two teaspoons and see how it goes. Or even if I was making some pancakes in the morning or something like that, I might just throw in half a teaspoon and it'll just add that little bit more gelling capacity. You really, really don't need a lot. <laughs> Chris is holding up croissant recipes. <laughs> She's picking all the things that I wish were. These are things option. I don't have in my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to create for me. <laughs> cool. No, I can't yeah, really think of any other recipes. The Slippery Elm, you can pretty much confidently add it to most baking if it was a small amount like I would just be like oh I like this just throw in a teaspoon Mm. it's not going to do much more than help kind of gel things together a little bit Um, but it certainly it certainly is something that I think needs a little bit of extra help as far as um, binding goes if you're just sort of trying to use it on its own hope that helps Brie trying to think of other recipes that have got slippery elm in them that we have on the website, but I don't think so. No, I, th- I was actually the first time I think I've seen you pop it into a recipe, so I'm not even talking to my microphone anymore. <laughs> I've given up. All right, I thought what actually wouldn't be a bad idea is I'm just going to literally give you a really classic banana bread recipe. Yep. Yeah, and then we can. Oh my god, it's a cold ad. <laughs> Stop speaking. <laughs> no, okay, I have to find another recipe. Shh. This is. <laughs> This podcast has been a disaster right from the start. All right, let's find one that doesn't. That's a paleo one. We don't want that. We want something that's just stocko standard. That hopefully doesn't have a Coles ad attached. Good old banana bread. Okay. 
So we've got two cups of, okay, so stock standard banana bread, two cups of plain flour, mm -hmm. one teaspoon of bicarb soda, which now I know makes it rise, yep. uh, a pinch of salt, 115 grams of butter, 115 gram, grams of brown sugar, shit, that's a lot of sugar, yep. um, two eggs, and 500 grams of mashed overripe bananas. Straight up, I would be knocking that sugar down and adding more <laughs> bananas. Anyway, it's actually an interesting recipe in regards to all of that. Like making that gluten free just on its own is really easy. Yeah, I just actually I'm like I could do that. Yeah, because really, if you look at it again, you've now got you told me. the eggs are already in, and the banana. There's so much binding and rising capacity already, plus the bicarb soda. So really, two cups of plain flour. If you want to keep it super light, to you know, so mm. your grandma would still eat it. You would probably again go right. Let's do that similar ratio to what I was talking about before. Or yep. you could sub in literally just two cups of sorghum or buckwheat or quinoa yep. flour confidently without any issues with that recipe. So because you've got the eggs in there, yep. and even though it's only got one teaspoon of bicarb soda, because of the eggs, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with the bicarb soda in this recipe. No, you don't think no, it needs I it. really don't. And it's see how and it's plain flour. Yeah. So the other one was self raising flour. Yeah. So yep. it's already got all the rise it needs. So the two cups of plain flour is going to still have a bit more obviously gluten in it. Yeah. So it's going to have a little bit more oomph from that bicarb mm -hmm. soda. So if you really wanted to, you could maybe make it like one and a half teaspoons, mm. just being conscious of the salt. Like it's got a pinch of salt. You maybe wouldn't put the pinch of salt in <laughs> and maybe increase the bicarb. Yeah. But I'm a big, I always taste as I go. So I would yep. probably make that up and go, well, can I get away with extra half a teaspoon of bicarb if I want to try and really yeah. punch it up. And then uh, if you wanted to look at reducing the sugar, which yeah. is something I would look at this recipe and go, no freaking way is that yeah. much sugar going into one of my recipes. So I would so what could you then do? Like obviously increase the banana. But again well, I'm I'm aware that you now have pointed out the importance of not just <laughs> taking out recipes without replacing and because it's a dry ingredient. Yeah, exactly. Would you what would you depends do? on your palate because that I know there's a banana recipe on the website and like the muffins you're talking mm. about. The banana's the sweetener. Yeah. Like that, that amount of banana in that recipe could for, I mean, for your and my palate would probably be enough sweetness. Yeah. So what uh, maybe you might get someone to do, they could just halve the sugar down, but there is an element, you know, you're taking a good sort of 60 grams of a dry ingredient away. Mm -hmm. So what that might mean is that you do, depending on the batter, you may need a slight little bit of extra um, something dry. So whether it's a slight bit of flour, you might add a bit of nut meal. I was just about to say, can you, could you add some chopped nuts? Yeah, well, you'd probably want it to be more of a nut meal because okay. think of the brown sugars already, already uh, okay. ground up yep. as such. Um, it's not a huge amount. Like you okay. might find you could just reduce it and be all right, okay. but it's, it would depend on what this recipe said. A good recipe should tell you, what sort of consistency it should be. So, you know, that if you're mixing it up <laughs> and it's like, you know, crepe batter, you're like, okay, this is an issue. Yeah, this, is a, this is a fail. Whereas the, probably the last thing to point out before we finish up is just to make it slightly complicated, like we're talking gluten-free, but if you, this is where people run into problems because it's like, I want to make that, but I'd also want it to be dairy-free or I want to make that and make it egg-free. So even dairy-free, it's got 115 grams of butter. Coconut oil? So, yeah, you could do coconut oil and make sure you measure it out. Um, but if you're wanting to – if you didn't want to use coconut oil and you wanted to use olive oil or macadamia nut oil or something like that, it's more – they're more of a um, – more of a liquid essentially. So potentially the way they act – 
in the batter is going to be different, like in the batter and also when it's it sets, because you think mm-hmm. of butter and coconut oil when they get cold, oh, they're going to set. Yeah, right. But those oils other won't. oils won't, so you may not need as much oil. Um, so that's where it sort of starts to get complicated. But um, yeah, it might start to blow people's brains apart. So, I mean, the gluten. I think what we sort of highlighted is that gl- making them gluten free is relatively. Simple. It's just probably understanding mm. some of those binders, raising agents. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how you can do that. And then from there, it's experimenting. And if you need to go further and go, I need this ve- like vegan or egg-free, dairy-free, all those sorts of things, there's other tricks that you need to consider. But you can't just take things out willy-nilly. Like you have to think about... <laughs> why that ingredient is there because baking is a science and that these things all act together. So if you take out one thing, you've got to go, how can I sub something else in that's going to act in the same way? Cool. Good advice. <laughs> so will, will you actually take it on? I'm <laughs> trying. I'm trying. I'm glad I know the difference about these bloody bicarbs and all that now because I just the thing for me is I don't – I think I, I get a lot of stuff about the flowers now that you've explained it, but those – those things were bugging me because I'm like, why mm. am I adding these white powders mm. and why when I just add a random white powder does it not work? Yeah, and I get I like a really common question on Instagram about the breads. People will be text me and DM me and say, oh, can I – do I have to add this cream of tartare? I don't have it. Or I don't have psyllium. Do I need yeah. it? And I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and often if someone does contact me and they're like, oh, I made this bread and it didn't work, usually once I – grill them with lots of questions I can figure it out because it'll be mm. something that they've changed or not done properly yeah um there's a re- yeah with baking you've got to do as things are written mm-hmm. or if you don't you've got to know how to change, change them up properly it. and yep. follow the methods properly yeah <laughs> so basically people like me shouldn't bake <laughs> but we can try cool all right that's awesome right. so I feel like if you yeah that's answered heaps of questions for me definitely because there was so much stuff I just didn't know. Now I do. Look at look. Watch the little. Watch what you've created. Expect to see lots of baking and Carissa's yeah. Instagram. Probably feed. still a lot of bloody fails, but that's okay. It's <laughs> got ten points for trying. Um, yeah, I think we're all done. I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Sorry, it's been a like, over the place. I know it's been a bit of a dog's breakfast, hasn't it? <laughs> We've enjoyed it. I kind of I'm hoping that you guys get a lot out of it too, or whether it's just one of those ones you're like, yeah, don't care. <laughs> But um, as always, we love to hear your feedback, mm. particularly on this. I'd love to hear if people have got any further questions yeah. about the baking or maybe if you would like us to delve further mm. into, say, other elements, dairy-free, taking out eggs and, you know, f- baking with multiple intolerances because we can delve into that. Yeah. But we just need to know if you guys are interested. So um, the way to let us know is to direct messages. Um, you can email the clinic or repost, um, screenshot the podcast, repost it um, and yeah. write a little love note <laughs> with anything extra you'd like us to, to do in the podcast. Cool. Otherwise, I think that's it. It's Friday afternoon and we're – not done, but done with this podcast. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, right, and we'll cool. chat to you next time. Chat to you soon. Bye. Bye.